Welcome to Doc Talks, brought to you from NerdWorks Media. Hi, welcome back to Doc Talks, where I Doc Talk. I hope everybody's doing good today. I hope we have loved one another. I hope we have kept it nerdy. I hope we are living our dreams. We have a little bit of special that's going to happen right after this. But first off, new look, who dis? A new talk show that's going to be happening tonight after my talk show. So right after Doc Talks, we're going to go raid that other channel. Then they're going to raid back. Somehow, I don't know. But hey, here we are. And uh, if you lose out on that, just pop back in over here. We will be going live straight after that. Uh, We have been talking about fighters in D&D. We are going through the classes. I don't think there's a lot of stuff left for D&D as a whole. So we've got to decide what our new game system is going to be. And when I say there's not a lot left, I'm 28 episodes in. That means I probably have less than 28 left. But we will get into other episodes, bigger episodes, like we have in the past. Like we have talked a little bit about world building and what you could do during fights. I also found, I found my, I had a map that was made. I'm sorry, it's probably really bright. But anyways, this is a little thing about like what you could do, a little shortcuts. I'm going to find a way to get a, a picture of that and get it up on the interweb so that you can see it. And if you don't know and you're listening to this later on in podcast for, for the podcast form, I just want to say hi, welcome. I'm glad you're here. It means a lot to me. And also, um, you can watch this show on NerdWorks Media Live on Twitch every Monday at, or sorry, every Tuesday at 3.15 p.m. Pacific, because that's how we do time here. I will have this picture up somewhere that we can get it, and hopefully I'll have it up in enough time where I could tag it in the notes. If not, I'll do it later. Lots of stuff going on at NerdWorks Media. Lots of stuff going on with some of our friends. So let me just pitch a little bit of our friends. Uh, if you go to rupturerpg.com, all one word, obviously, uh, head over there. They launched their Kickstarter today for the new RPG game, Rupture RPG, which is really awesome. In fact, I was hanging out in their party in Discord before I had to come here, and right before I did, they wanted to make to teach me to make a character, but I really needed to get to the show and get my notes done so that I could do this without running into any problems, and I still ran into problems, so there we are. We have a lot going on. We have a new... NerdWorks Media in general has a new charity event coming up for Locks of Love. That'll be explained more in the coming weeks and what's going to be involved with that. The schedule might change during that week because of what we want to accomplish, but we'll get that and make an announcement if we have to. Again, we're going to have another commercial today. I don't think the commercial is going to help us because we don't have a lot to go into. We have two subclasses of fighters left and then... Next time we start on Punchy Boys, our, our martial arts people, the monks, and we talk about key. When it comes to fighters, I do want to talk about, before we even get started today, fighters are a martial class. They get cool things that they can do. We've been through a bunch of them. Spells, different techniques. They don't always have to be magical in some way. But fighters are a great class. And they're very pinnacle in D&D. In fact, the number one played PC or player character in Dungeons & Dragons is the human fighter. 
people again there's this group running through talking about how things are bad or good they're not they're neither and that's the great thing about dungeons and dragons in any tabletop role-playing game but when we talk about fighters we integrate into a bigger source see when we've talked in the past we had to talk about bards and what that meant and clerics and that what that meant there's all these historical things monks there'll be historical things when we get to rangers etc we will talk about the historical gathering of that information fighters though there's nothing historical some of them are based in knights and and the idea of what a knight is supposed to be uh, some of them are based in, like, guards when they first started having town guards or queen guards or king guards. Um, when fighters are talked about, it's this open-ended thing because it can be anything. It seems basic. It probably is to fill, like, a small gap. They put this one thing in there. But it is one of the most necessary if you're going to play traditional Dungeons & Dragons, if your DM is going to pull out Tombs of Horror and you're going to go through all these very tough, old maps and dungeons, trust me when I say you're going to need a fighter of some kind. And it can be different things. But the fighter is intricate. And the fighter is pretty awesome if you think about it. Again, I've said this before. The fighter is in, uh, surrounded by these people that can do these wonderfully extraordinary magic things. And these wonderful, extraordinary chi or ki things. And these wonderful people who have command of their voice. They can do all these wonderful, amazing things. Heal. All this other stuff. Aw, thank you guys for the raids. Yay, and we're going to raid you right back, so... Do, do not be afraid. <laughs> we, the basic of tabletop role-playing games, no matter what you're talking about. And here, again, Season 1 is all about Dungeons & Dragons, but let's expand that out further. Any simple class is not a boring class. If you're bored with your character, or you think that the the backstory or it, it, if you think it's not fun, I heard somebody once one time say that you probably don't know how to make a character because they can be, they're amazing. We're going to talk about a class today of one of the fighters that I've recently built for a Dungeons and Dragons game. And that's the samurai. No, I'm I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're lurking. It's good to see everybody. I'm so glad everybody's here. It makes me excited. Oh, we got time time. All right. Well, we're going to find somebody in our community. But let's get back to fighters. Sorry. So <laughs> these fighters, these basic melee classes are really the pinnacle of all historical attributes. Rome, the Zulu, all these people would not be anything if they didn't have people to fight. So when you're thinking of getting into a campaign, know that the cool part about a fighter is they really do not get horseshoed into some kind of stereotypical background situation. You just, you have so much that you can work with. And I guess that's kind of what I was beating a dead horse on on that one. So we're going to get into what all fighters got. We're going to flip to our real cool commercial um, for those that came from the RPG 
hangout stream, which it was a lot of fun. And I'm sorry I had to leave. Um, we're, the first thing is going to start off as a commercial for Rupture RPG. And if you're hearing this later, again, this goes live this Friday on podcast form. So if you're hearing this in podcast form and you don't know, please go and just give a look on Kickstarter to Rupture RPG. Look through it. Um, you can come to our Discord, which the links are going to be in there, and ask some players that are just starting to play it um, and get an idea of the game itself or even go to their Discord and ask around. been very friendly and awesome and wonderful. So all fighters in Dungeons & Dragons are going to get mechanically these things, but we're going to talk a little bit more about the role-playing aspect of them because it's important. Uh, first off, I want to remind everybody that D&D 5e is written as a guideline rule. The rules were there because we need to bridge the gap of different kinds of players. What do I mean by that? There are players in Dungeons and Dragons that they want to just do battles all the time. That's all they do. They build their character for combat. They have no interest in role playing. These people can play at the same table that people that role play do. And we have to understand that a good game has a mix of battles, conflict, and role-playing conflict, and role-playing without conflict, right? And so we need to learn as a community of people who play games, there's no such thing as bad, there's no such thing as good. There's a lot of role-playing games out there, and again, Rupture's a new one to come out. Every single one of them has their good points. Every single one of them is going to have their bad points. And there's no such thing as a perfect one because it depends on who you are. So when we talk about fighters in D&D, let's go ahead and get into the mechanics of this. They, <clears throat> excuse me, the first they get their proficiencies, right? And so their proficiencies are all armors, all shields, all simple and martial weapons. This doesn't mean that you can't limit your character to certain ones. If you were trained or your background does that. I encourage you in any tabletop role-playing game to limit yourself or learn to limit yourself for story purposes. It also makes the game a little bit more fun, especially if you're doing it for strategy purposes. Because all in all, and, and as it was said today, the, all of the tabletop games that we have today were not about role-playing. The birth of them were about war games. And instead of using one big D100 or percentile dice, turning that mathematically into a D20 or smaller, or having effects of weapons range between more than just the D20 roll or a D6 roll. And so the people that play for that aspect, the people that want to go into combats all the time, these people are not incorrect in the way they want to play. And this game, Pathfinder, other games like it are perfect for them. But you can limit yourself. So if I'm not, if I'm in a military, I may have learned to be proficient in most weapons. But if I am just somebody who chooses to protect a town from terrible evils, maybe I don't have access to that. And it is okay to take away certain things. You have access as a fighter to everything. So you can choose what would be more beneficial for you. And if you're a role player, you could be a little bit more specific in that. You get to choose a fighting style, and this depending on what kind of fighter you're trying to play. So you have to know your end goal, but you have to know what you're doing short term. Old armies had archers, so we have archer. You get a plus two bonus to attack rolls with 
uh, with bow and arrow. You have defense, uh, which allows you to gain one AC if you're wearing armor. Uh, dueling lets you use a one-handed weapon and no other weapon and allows you to get plus two to damage rolls because it means you're a little bit more proficient with that one weapon. Great weapon fighting allows you to reroll ones and twos because it's a great weapon. It should be doing more damage. It's the thought process behind it. Also, you as somebody who focuses on a great weapon, just to give you a little bit more um, aspect or thought process behind this, you know how to hit hard. Great weapon, if you watch people use great swords or great axes in fighting recreations or those that study the art forms of this, it's a lot of heave and cleave and it does quite a bit of damage protection this is going to allow us to gain a reaction so if you're one of those people that are looking for more options while you're in combat this is going to give you a reaction combat uh, option in this case specifically you can use your reaction to impose disadvantage on a target uh, that's five feet from you uh, and again this is not the attacking creature but the one being attacked you have to be five feet from the one being attacked and cause the attacking creature disadvantage um, it doesn't say anything about how far the attacking creature needs to be. It just says you need to be wielding a sh shield. So I could see that for bow and arrow attacks or anything. Use this to your advantage because you have that kind of recreation. And when you think about that, that's more the Spartan being behind the shield or protecting the guy next to you with a shield. And finally, the two-weapon fighting. This is if you want to use two weapons, you gain the ability modifier bonus um, to the... Uh, to the second attack where you normally wouldn't when you do damage. And remember, these have limitations. So two weapons have limitations in the rules. Obviously, you can't run around with two great axes. You could probably find a way to feed into that, but normally you can't. But when it talks like specifically great weapon, it says it has to either be a two-handed weapon or versatile property. And it it's not saying that you have to be using two hands, but I think it's hinting towards that, but that's on you and the DM. You only get to select one of these as well, too. And if you have a good dungeon master, a good storyteller, you can always ask them, and they will usually allow you to change that. So there's nothing wrong with tweaking your characters, and I think this goes for any tabletop role-playing game. If I'm playing it, it just doesn't feel like the character is set up to be the way the character is, I'm going to talk to the person doing my story and I will be like, I want to switch this out because it feels like this and I'm going to have a real reason. I don't want to do this for mechanics. I don't want to do it because I'm trying to get more damage out of my hits. And I definitely don't want to go because trust me, the person running the game knows that you're making up a reason to get the extra benefits instead of really being about your character. Just Try not to do that. Try to stay out of that. Don't just make up reasons because you want to do something. Try to play a character that you're going to enjoy on their personality. Now, if you're a combat person, this is what you're going to do. Maybe something will be better. Talk to the person running the game, but be honest with them. Don't try to, don't try to change it what it is, okay? Um, all fighters get second win. So once per short rest, and it's when I say short rest, it's short rest and long rest. You can use your bonus action, add hit points, that's 1d10 plus your fighter level, and this is the fighter digging deep 
thought process, right? I was in the army. We were taught to push. They were always pushing us to our limits. At least they were when I was in. And and they try to push it to make the stamina better. This is a representation of that. All fighters gain action surge. So you can use this feature again once per every short rest or short rest and long rest. And just what it does is it gives you one more action. So if you're smart and you're a combat person or you're talking to uh, min-maxers, you're going to learn that the real thing is if you take an attack action at certain levels, you get more attacks per attack action. So one attack action is like two attacks, three attacks. It gets up to four attacks. You can use your actions... You can use your action surge to get more attacks by using that action as attack action or using that action to drink a potion. Yes, you can come to me all you want. Drinking a potion isn't a full round action, and the reason it is is because it's an economy that makes you think about strategy because at its heart, Dungeons and & Dragons and most tabletop role-playing games are about strategy and role-play. Uh, some of the best game masters and game creators that I've talked to across the board have this unifying agreement that a good game, tabletop role-playing game, is neither all combat nor all role-playing. It's a good combination, a good balance of both. And again, you're going to get players of both of those no matter what you're playing. And it's important to make sure that your game it sees that these people are getting their needs met and they'll be more likely to do the other thing that they don't like to do. <clears throat> at fifth level, at fifth level, you're going to get that extra attack that I was talking about. And again, there's some clarification to attack twice at, at fifth level. You actually have to take the attack action and attack. If you don't attack, you do not get that second attack. That's the requirement here. It increases in later levels again, and like I said, at level 20, it's four times per attack action. At that point, you're going to need it to keep up with everybody. At ninth level, you grant, you get an indomitable. Uh, what this means is actually once per long rest, if you roll a saving roll, before you hear if it fails or not, you could choose to re-roll it. Whatever that second one re-roll is, is what you're going to use. This increases as you gain levels. I think at 17th it becomes three times per long rest. And again, these are things that we've got to weigh. We have to understand that this is about combat in role-playing games is about... Oh, hi, Annette Adulting. I appreciate the lyric. Combat in role-playing games is about strategy. It's about party makeup. It doesn't have to be made up a certain way, but... Fighters react differently if you know somebody's throwing a fireball, right? And so these are things that it brings in the strategy portion of what the game is created to be, which is a strategy game. I'm not saying that strategy isn't important. I'm not saying that role-playing isn't important. And I'm not saying that if you're at a table that does one more than another that it's bad. Whatever works for the group is the best for that table. But if you find yourself in a mix... You don't want to be a toxic table. You don't want to be like, oh, no, this is all we do. Allow that person to introduce a little bit more. Some of the people that I've known over the years that became the best role players in my game were people that were not role players when it came down to it. And it is an interesting mix. We're going to go ahead and take that short break right now. As we take this break, 
Remember when we get back, Rune Knight and Samurai, we're done. And fighters will be done. But check out some of the things that are going on. Most importantly, like again, like I said, today was the kickoff of the Kickstarter for Rupture RPG. Um, they have early bird specials. I'm not sure how long that goes, but you're more than welcome to check them out on Kickstarter. So why don't we just flip to some of these commercials? I'll see you in about less than five minutes. I'm not going anywhere. Go ahead and check this out. I'll be right back. I love you. Sit tight. I'll be right back. It has been 300 years since the Great Rupture. And now, magical energy known as mana flows through all of creation. Through all people, through all rocks and trees, through the very land itself, through the water that surrounds us and the sky above us. Many have used their own mana to create magnificent realities and to change and shape this world of Taral. Some could not handle the mana flowing through their veins and it has torn at their very soul. Many people are seeking a way to reverse the effects of being mana torn, but to no avail. Here in the shadow of the empire, created by the peace treaty between the humans and orcs, you have a chance to shape your destiny. What will you do with the mana flowing through your veins? What paths will you follow? What trails will you blaze? The choice is completely yours. Come to the magical land of Tural and decide your destiny. I told you. I told you we'd be right back. Hi. Let's jump into fighters. See how far we get. If you have any questions in stream, I'm more than welcome to attempt to answer them. I do not. I will tell you right now, 100%, I don't know everything of what is um, in the rules, but I know quite a bit, so maybe I could be able to answer if you do have questions. So, The bikini, that was Mike's um, Women in Gaming International, Wiggy, getting Wiggy with it. Uh, Wiggy was uh, one of the charity events and he did a bikini stream and uh, honestly you should absolutely talk to Mike about it and let him tell the story of how it happened, why it happened um, it's an amazing story I think it, it touched on and did a lot of good and was wonderful and amazing and earned money for a great organization so um, yeah, it was it was pretty awesome and it started me with my kiddie pool streams, which didn't end well because I haven't figured out a way to do that the best. And we could talk about that later. So this isn't about that. <laughs> uh, back to fighters, though. We're going to talk about the last two, which are Rune Knights and Samurai. Rune Knights are supernatural fighters, is the best way to put this. Using supernatural magics using giant language and giant magical runes to incorporate into their fighting styles of fighter. The amount of things that happen with this class, for a lot of role players, it doesn't give you a lot of stuff to role play into. For a lot of combat people, it really doesn't give you a lot of combat stuff, unless you really understand it, because there actually is quite a bit to this. In fact, I, I need to get... Um, 
a little uh, thing that I had ready here because I didn't want to write down all the ruins in my notes, uh, but I have it in quick right here and ready to go. So when we get there, I can read through the ruins because they're kind of neat. They usually they have a double uh, ability for you that you could do twice as much. So it actually is pretty awesome. Um, but basically, using magical runes to accomplish unbelievable feats. And let's get into it. At third level, along with all the other stuff as a fighter, when you take this uh, martial archetype, archetype, or subclass, however you want to say it, uh, you gain proficiency with smith tools, specifically. And you learn giant. There's a reason. It is what it is. It goes into the smith tools and their use, which is their first thing, level three, you learn rune carver. So you're going to pick runes to enhance your gear as you level up. At first you're going to get two of them, but you get more as you go on. Um, and you get to choose like a five of them by the time you're done. And I wanted to read through them because the runes themselves are pretty neat and they add little aspects to it. Um, and again, one of the really weird things about role-playing games is how interchangeable they really are, even though a lot of people who worship one, like the, the diehard D&D 5e people, be like, oh, it's better than everything else. You can always find a way to move it around. And if you and your dungeon master or storyteller, whatever you want to call them, has issues breaking something down into 5th edition, I've had a lot of practice with it. I'm more than willing to make it a jump. I will tell you right now when I've done it in the past, I keep it balanced. So a lot of people are like, well, it's not like I thought it would be. I didn't get like unlimited constitution. I didn't get like massive gore attacks and other things that we've talked about. And it's kind of disheartening because the cool things that could come from it, what you can use for them in and out of battle is overlooked by basically the, the forethought information of no massive damage or indestructibility or whatever it is and i think we as players need to be careful not to get into that um i've said it before and i'll say it again because it doesn't matter what game you're playing whether you're playing dungeons and dragons rupture rpg fate fear dread um fiasco everybody's involved with that game and we always forget that the dungeon master in, in dungeons and dragons is part of the game. They're trying to play too. They want to hit sometimes too. So if you go out of your way to make something that's unhittable, just to be unhittable, well, you kind of ruin the fun of the game. Make it difficult. I'm not I'm not saying like, oh, I'm going to make a squishy character so you can beat on me. But just be careful what you're doing. Be careful of the reasons you do things. I understand there's a lot of TikToks out there and it's really funny to break games, quote unquote, but nobody wants that. We want a story to continue. It may be a funny story. It may be what your table does and it may be acceptable, but I'll tell you overall, that is not something that we do. That is not something that anybody wants at their tables. We want it to be fun and we want it to be fun for everyone. You as a player, me as a dungeon master, everybody at that table, um, Meta, from metagamers to combat and strategy to role players and me. Yes, if we do this game right, 
Everybody has a good time. I'm not kidding. You do not need to find a table that's concentrated exactly how you want. And especially if it pushes you a little bit out of your comfort zone, absolutely do I. I will give you that hint to go do that, to play the table. Let's go through some of these runes. So they're Cloud, Fire, Frost, Stone, Hill, and Storm. And as you can tell, they're named after giants, which is kind of the theme of the rune giants. The Cloud rune... Uh, emanates deceptive magic is what it says. So basically, it's what the cloud giant are about. Cloud giants are very dangerous. If you've never fought one in any game, they really are. And so basically what it does is this rune, when you inscribe it on an object that you're carrying, gives you advantage on dexterity sleight of hand checks and charisma deception checks. Why do I say it like that? Because the rules are specific. So if you're making a sleight of hand check, without dexterity, with like charisma, because you're reading the room and seeing when you should do it, it wouldn't affect this. So keep that in mind. <laughs> but that's the knowing that you're playing those rules at your table. Your dungeon master should not be hiding that, just ask. The cool second part of this is when, you, uh, when you're about to uh, be hit by an attack, like it, it actually hit. So the roll has been made and the hit has been declared. Or a creature that you can see within 30 feet of you is hit, one of your allies. You can actually use your reaction, giving you another reaction uh, base, something else to do with your reaction, to invoke. Um, it's The rune is what it's called. Choose a different character within 30 feet. A different creature is what it says. It does not say enemy. It does not say it has to be an ally. The cool part about this is you already know what the hit is, and so you're basically commanding the field a little bit using your reaction. And using your reaction to possibly put the attack on somebody who wouldn't get hit from the same number. Because they don't roll again, they use the same number. The other part of this that you have to remember is you can't do this until you finish a short rush. You can only do it once, so it's not breaking the game. It has its limitations. Fire rune. Um, is the great smith's um, craftsmanship. So while you're wearing or carrying an object inscribed with this rune, your proficiency is bonus. Your proficiency bonus is doubled for any ability you check made with the uses of proficiency uh, made with the uses of tools that you're already proficient in. That's a lot of words. So everybody gets a proficiency bonus. It goes up as you go up. Here's how that works. If I am proficient in smith tools, which if I take this, I am, and I have the fire rune on me, and I use my smith tools to do something, in-game, whatever it is, build, create something, using my smith tools, I can double my proficiency. So I can add another three to my roll when I'm trying to do something, which makes it a little bit better I also think that we, and, and you can check the old Doc Talks when we talked about skills, but I think a lot of Dungeon Masters get it wrong on this fail-succeed. If you're proficient at, say, performance, you are not rolling a performance check to perform. You're proficient. It means you know how to do it. What you're doing is you're rolling that check to read the room to see if you're performing, for the right, performing correctly for the people in front of you. Just keep that in mind. It's always one of the big failures that I've noticed. <laughs> Eat your heart out, Battlemasters. Uh, 
with the fire and rune, in addition, when you hit a creature, so you, you've made an attack and you hit the creature, you can invoke something called fiery shackles. What happens is, is when the shackles are on that creature, they take an ad- additional 2d6 of fire damage. To get out of the shackles, they have to succeed on a strength saving throw, or they're restrained for one minute. And by the way, there's no repeated. It's they make the strength save. If they don't, they're restrained as well for one minute. While restrained by the shackles, the target takes 2d6 fire damage at the start of every one of their turns. It's kind of like the heat metal, a little bit worse. The target... um, After that, at the end of their turn, the target can repeat the save, not using an action. I know normally restrain, this is where it gets confusing. But basically, they can try to make the saving throw, and if they do, they banish the shackles is what happens. And again, it's one of those runes you can use once every short rest. Frost rune. So the frost dryads, right? Magic invokes the might of those who survive in the winterly wilderness. Basically, <laughs> while you're wearing or carrying anything, and you put this arcane sigil, it's a little bit more in the rules. I would flavor it. It doesn't matter as long as the end result happens and nothing changes in the mechanics. But basically, you put a frost rune on something, if you choose it, if it's one of your two. And uh, while wearing or carrying it, again, you have advantage on wisdom animal handling checks. And charisma and intimidation checks. Because frost giants are intimidating. They're rugged. They're sturdy. So that's what we're thinking of here. Also frost giants usually are the ones that are like cool with animals. It's just the old mythos of it. So these two fit into there really well. Also remember everything has a secondary effect on this. So the bonus action. That's what this is, is a bonus action economy. If you were to enact the rune as a bonus action for 10 minutes, for some of you that's 100 rounds, enjoy. Uh, You get a plus 2 bonus to ability checks and saving throws using strength or constitution. Again, once you've used it, it's gone, but at least this one lasts for 10 minutes. And if you use it during a battle, it's a bonus action. So there's some more stuff to your economy. More extra... um, options for you as you go the stone rune is <clears throat> excuse me um again associated with the the giants that we're talking about and if you do this one it's wisdom insight um and then it gives you dark vision out to 120 feet so if you're playing one of the characters that doesn't have dark vision you want dark vision you want to be a fighter Maybe this is the one that you want. Take Stone Rune. It works. The extra part about this is when a creature that you can see within 30 feet. So remember, that's the sentence. You have to be able to see that creature. When you can see um, and it ends its turn and it's 30 feet from you, it's a reaction you can use to invoke the rune and force that creature to make a wisdom saving throw. Unless it's the save succeeds. Basically, you charm that creature. It's for a minute. Well, charm this way. They have a spirit of zero. They're incapacitated. You basically put them into a dreamy sleepland. The difference between this and like hypnotic um, pattern is that they repeat the saving throw at the end of the turn. 
And again, it ends if they succeed on it at all. Once you evoke it again, all of these are you get once per short rest. The first part that I'm telling you, the the like this one with the, the wisdom insight checks to, to insight something, or to see out 120 feet in dark vision, that lasts, but the in the stuff when you invoke the rune is only during one, a short rest. No, it does not. <laughs> creature means any creature. It is open. I saw you, Link. I know you didn't want to interrupt, but that's a great, great question. The reason it's worded that way is it's not saying ally. It's not saying enemy. It's saying creature. A lot of stuff is going to this as more and more stuff gets written. Because ally is somebody that you're traveling with, that you're associated with. But what if you want to change the game up? What if you're trying to use it? A harmful thing to help somebody. Believe it or not, I've seen people do that before. So now a lot of the stuff is going to creature. And again, creature is the sentient form, the species. Ew, excuse me. Oh, that was embarrassing. I do apologize. I'm just kicking up dust or something, I guess. Um, is the way that it is. It is... <coughs> oh. It's just what they're going to in wording to make it a little bit more open-ended. Uh, hill room. Um, and, and these last two, Hill and Storm, are level dependent. So you can't take them right off the bat. But at 7th level, they become available to you. And it's 7 levels of Rune Fighter. So if you're taking multi-class, it, it's not going to stack. Uh, this is the Hill Giant one, obviously. So basically what happens is while you have this Rune on something, it has to be on something. It can be on a common necklace. You have advantage on saving throws against being poisoned, and you have resistance against poison damage. When you invoke this rune, it's a bonus action, so that's the economy it's taking up, is the bonus action. You gain resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, slashing damage for one minute. It does not say from a non-magical source, so I would assume it's all of that as well. BPS is the acronym if you ever hear that. I don't, I see why maybe 7th level, but I don't see why. It's so little independent. But, I, again, there must have been a reason. Uh, if you ever want to play test something for Dungeons & Dragons, they have Unearth Arcana. Um, usually the day Unearth Arcana comes out, two weeks later they have a poll out. They want you to submit what you felt if it was overpowered. Um, and, and I'm sure this comes from that. And lastly, we have the Storm Rune. Again, you have to be 7th level or higher. This one is a little bit more powerful. This one is the glimpsing into the future. You have advantage of intelligence, on intelligence arcana checks. And you can't be surprised as long as you're incapa not incapacitated. When you invoke the Rune, though, you enter... They call it prophetic state. I like to think of it more of a trance for a minute. Until it ends. When you are another creature, um, and the other creature, this one's different. It's not 30 feet, it's 60 feet. Makes, right, so it's, it's another, you are another creature you can see within 60 feet, makes an attack roll. 
a saving throw or ability check. So that d20 roll. You can use your reaction to cause the roll to have advantage or disadvantage depending on what the creature is you're trying to uh, um, influence. This is interesting and, and, and also a good playoff to what we're talking about when we say creatures instead of allies or enemies. If one of my teammates forgets that we're trying to keep somebody alive to question them and goes for lethal, and we can speak on that because, and what I mean is like cast a spell, you can force them to be at disadvantage or cause the person that the spell is going to to be at advantage for it. And the reason I mention that is spells are always lethal unless your DM changes it. That's table ruling and that's absolutely fine. But for the rules, spells are lethal. Melee attacks can be non-lethal, and you do not... I don't know where all these rules came from that I've heard people in their tables. You decide if it's lethal or non-lethal after you hit. You don't have to, like, declare it before you swing, unless it's a table rule. But the actual rules of Dungeons & Dragons don't read like that. By the way, those are just the runes. You pick two to start, obviously, behind the last two, and then you'll get up to five. But the other thing you get at third level, there's a lot going on, and I'm sorry. Uh, You basically, as a bonus action, get benefits of a giant because you're using their magic. If you are smaller than a large creature, which most of us are when we're playing PCs, You become a large creature. Anything that you're wearing becomes large with you and usable. If you lack the room to become large when you use giant might... By the way, this only lasts for like a minute, I think. Yeah, one minute. If you lack the room, your size doesn't change. You don't get bigger. If you're tiny or small, you you just don't change. If you can't be large, you can't do it. But it doesn't stop you from having the other, other benefits. Like, you gain advantage on strength checks and strength saving throws. Also, each one time on each one of your turns, like a rogue, you get and you attack with a weapon or an unarmed strike, you can add 1d6 to your hit every turn. So if you get two attacks, three attacks, it's not all three attacks. It's just one of them. And it's how I do it at my table, and I think how the rules are written, it's the first attack to hit. This one, um, you can use the number of times. Remember I talked about that proficiency bonus? Whatever your proficiency bonus is, that's the limit to how many times you can use it uh, between long rests. No short rests on this one. As we go a little further, we get to 7th level. You learn to invoke your rune magic to protect your allies. Uh, when other creatures you can see within 60 feet of you are hit by an attack roll, you can use your action to force the attacker to re-roll the d20 and use the new roll. That's it. It's a proficiency level. It's a long rest thing. Um, I'm going to run through these last three because I'm over. <laughs> and I didn't think that was possible. Uh, great stature. At 10th level, you great, you get great stature. So that magic of the rooms will now, because using them, you get permanently altered. Role-playing stuff happens with this. So basically, you roll 3d4. And that's how many inches you grow in height because of this. And it's been slowly happening over time. So you could play up to that until you get there. Um, And then the second part of this is the damage. Remember, it was 1d6. Now it's 1d8. 
It's going to go up one more to the end. At 15th level, we can invoke each one of our runes um, that we know for our rune carver feature twice instead of once. Um, but you, everything else is still the same. You get them at, back at short rest. So instead of doing it once per short rest, you get them twice per short rest. But that's a 15th level. A lot of people don't make it there, but makes it interesting. And I guess it just kind of stacks with your level. And finally, you're going to get Runic ju uh, Juggernaut. At 18th level, you learn how to amplify the rune power transformation. The, the um, not the, the stature, the um, ah, giant might. Um, the extra damage you deal at giant's might feature becomes a 1d10. And you can increase your size to huge if you have the space. This one, if you can't go huge, you can still go large. And while you're huge, if you can get there, you increase your reach by 5 feet. So Rune Knight has a ton, even though it's small. Even though it doesn't feel like a lot, it really is. And it adds a lot of effects for our bonus actions and reactions, mostly. If you're one of those people that just needs a couple more of those for a fight, and you'd like something that's a lot of fun to play with, this is the one. I'm over, and I still have to make dinner. <laughs> But are there any other questions about Rune Knight? Because we'll just do Samurai next week and get into Monks right after that. Big, large, huge, yeah. So large is 15 feet, huge is 20 feet. Just to give you an idea of how that works mechanically. If not, I'm glad we weren't going straight into the new one after this. Give me the Tom Cruise class. Calm, calm down there, big guy. Thanks, Link. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Um, we're going to find somebody to raid right after. Uh, so just hang on, and we'll find somebody hopefully doing something awesome to go jump into. But as always, love one another. Keep it nerdy. And live your dreams. Later. This has been a NerdWorks production.